0: Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello everyone and welcome to Find Your Finish Line presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. I'm Mike Riley and this podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at an event or a race, but also in life. We have to find our finish line every day, don't we? Every week, every month, every year to keep moving forward. I'll talk with successful people from all backgrounds about their inspiring stories of struggle and achievement in both sport and life. And hopefully their stories will inspire you to keep moving forward. Now with our fantastic guest, welcome to five-time Ironman world champion, Craig Alexander. How you doing, mate?
1: I'm doing good, Mike. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm fantastic. And, and you know, uh, five times three uh, Kona titles, and then we got 270.3 titles. And I want to go into a couple of those first. But I've been asking everybody, and uh, you know, with the pandemic and the last 14, 18 months, how have you been coping with it and, and keeping the family unit? Uh, positive and thinking, because when you got three young kids, they don't exactly think like an adult mind. It's always, it's always like every five minutes or 10 minutes. So how you been keeping it together with the family?
1: Yeah. You know, just been trying to stay in the moment and as terrible as it's been, I I always believe there's just a silver lining uh, in every situation. And and for us, it was spending a lot of time together through the lockdown and um, the homeschooling and all of that. And Of course, my wife Nerida, being an emergency room nurse, she had to work a lot. She was on the front line, and um, so I was I was in charge of homeschooling, which was interesting. That's tougher than an Ironman, that that is. But um, you know, I just (laughs) I I think we just tried to stay in the moment and, and kind of like being an athlete. I think all the lessons you learn being an athlete through your racing they serve you well and later on in life. And just tried to take care of the things each day that we could and make it as fun as possible because, of course, they are kids. Our eldest, Lucy, she's in uh, year 11 now in high school, so she was pretty much running her own race during lockdown anyway. But, yeah, we just tried to go on family bike rides and um, do the things we could do within whatever the restrictions or the limitations were. But, you know, like like all storms, Mike, they all pass sooner or later and you just do your best.
0: Yeah, and and I, I, I need to throw this out to you. Dude. You have a sixteen-year-old. I mean, oh. I remember when they they were yeah. like like this, and now now you've got a sixteen-year-old young daughter, and and you know she's going to be eighteen. She's going to be twenty. You got to get yourself ready for that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've, I've been getting ready. It's been a long preparation, like a like an Ironman training prep. But she already thinks she's eighteen or twenty. But um, you know it's the best thing in life is you know being a parent and it challenges you every day but it's funny um and yes you know you hear people say time flies it does I mean I I was lucky that pretty much the entirety of my career racing in Kona and even before that I got to share with with Neri and and all three of the kids Lucy first of course being the eldest. so they're some of our best memories but yeah just time does fly and I was just saying to Neri the other day we you know, obviously life moves on and, um, you know, you can't do the things you love to do sometimes being an athlete, you know, you get older and and you have to find other things to do, which is great as part of life. But a lot of the sadness for me with that came not only the racing and the challenge of it and preparing for each event and um, having every sort of month scheduled and knowing what you were doing each day and the planning around those big challenges, but was also the things that come with that. And, And for me, that was spending four months of the year in in boulder and also a month of the year in, in hawaii and i miss those two things as well mm-hmm. as much as i miss the training and the competitive aspect and you know a lot of the great friends that i made i just miss being in those great places where we formed lifelong friendships and you know as you know kona is very special you know i think it hurt everybody last year not being able to go um not only the athletes mainly the athletes but also the people who who just love to go there and catch up and be in and around that environment and that race in October. So um, life passes pretty quickly and you've got to make the most of, uh, of every day.
0: I, I, I agree. We all agree. There's no doubt about that. So Craig, take us back to your young self doing your first triathlons, and so many age groupers are, you know, we got a lot of new people still coming into the sport, which is fantastic. They're trying to find their way with swim, bike, and run, which is is not the easiest journey to always take. But tell us about what you struggled with at the beginning of your career uh, that may help somebody else who could be struggling with the very same thing. What did you struggle with?
1: I struggled with a lot of things. I mean, I struggled with time because when I started, I was – I was probably a late starter to the sport. I was, well, I, in relative terms, as a as a professional athlete or someone who was hoping to be a professional. I was a late starter because I didn't start until my early twenties. But obviously, these days we see a lot of age as amateurs coming into the sport in their forties and fifties, which is not that unusual. So, I think one of the main struggles you have is time. Um, you've got family commitments, you've mm-hmm. got work commitments. How do you fit the training in around that? How do you balance? your training time with your expectations. I think all of those internal conversations and challenges that we all face, um, you know, you know better than most, Mike. I mean, you've you've got a privileged position in our sport on, on a lot of finish lines and, and, and the people you call across the line. You know, we're a unique breed, just driven, um, driven people who love a challenge. Uh, some would say type A personalities. So sometimes the greatest challenge that we face is, balancing our own expectations with realistically how much time we have and all the other commitments in our day. So I think – and that's different for every athlete, um, whatever level you're at. And you have to be at peace with your – and realistic with your time availability and what your aspirations are. So I'd say that's one thing I I certainly uh, struggled with. Um, and I know a lot of the athletes that I talk to struggle with that as well. Um, you know, life is busy. So – that's one of the first challenges, and also for me, I guess more specifically with the sport. I, I, was a soccer player until I was twenty. I was a, I was, I came into triathlon as a hundred and eighty-pound soccer player. Um, who would have thought, several years down the track, I'd be a, a trim, toward hundred and fifty pounds, and vying for world titles. But, you know, it wasn't always that way. I was, I was a soccer player. I had no real background um, in endurance sports. Uh, the closest I'd, I'd come to a triathlon was watching them on television, watching races like the Iron Man in Hawaii on the Wide Water Sports, you know, watching Dave and Mark and Paula and Erin race, um, watching a lot of the other famous events, St. Croix, Chicago, I, you know, it wasn't unusual to see those on television in Australia. So um, even though I was very entrenched in, in my, I guess, my prior sporting life as a soccer player, I was aware of the sport of triathlon. I'm very interested in it. But yeah, I had a lot of challenges when I started changing my body, um, I guess, shape and, and my abilities, learning to swim. Uh, I mean, in Australia, we all learn to swim at a young age, but, you know, when I talk about learning to swim, I mean, you know, diving into a swim squad for the first time and having to do three miles, um, which was unheard yeah. of for, yeah. for a soccer play, you know, and, and then learning the nuances of riding a bike. I mean, I think, you know, again, in Australia, we're, we've got a great climate. We're outdoors 12 months of the year. Growing up, we all ride our little bikes around the neighbourhood, but riding a racing bike with your feet attached to the pedals, um, all, all of those things and learning the training. I mean, they're challenges that I faced. I think every athlete face, faces those at some point. And it's not unlike the challenges that a 40 or 50 year old amateur in our sport would face. So I think I would just say to them, you're not alone. Everyone's faced those challenges. And, and the great news is there's a lot of um, resources and people out there who can help you. So you need to tap into those.
0: Yeah, there are plenty of resources. They do need to tap. So we can talk about, Conan, you know, you won in 08, 09, you won in 11. I always like telling the story in 08, you and Neri standing at the in the after party off to the side all by yourselves and kind of just talking to one another. The world changed for you that year uh, in the sport of triathlon, you know, you won that 70.3 and Oh six. And I think, uh, 10 or in 10, but, uh, when you, you got that Kona title, uh, the world changed for you. Did it change in a way that you had expected or something you had prepared for, or was it just a blind side?
1: Yeah. I don't know if you ever can prepare fully for something until you live through it and experience it. So, um, you know, I'd won some big races at that point. I'd I'd won the lifetime fitness race in Minnesota, which was a big deal for a short course athlete. It was an invitation only event at the time, the the largest prize purse in the history of our sport against, uh, you know, the best short course athletes in the world live on television. So I I think, I guess I was fortunate to have stepping stones um, along my development as an athlete, but also your development mentally and, and emotionally to be able to prepare you for those moments. And I think the greatest thing was just the people I had around me it was a lot of the same people you know obviously Neri uh, my close friends my training partners and you know I think that's possibly the best thing I ever did in my career or the thing I did most consistently well was surround myself with good people and that always started at home with Neri and immediate family and I think when you're in that sort of an environment you're you're always well-equipped to deal with whatever life throws at you. So I had good voices around me, good people. and But, yeah, man, it was a, it was a real trip to – I mean, the year before, when I raced in Kona for the first time, I was just being there, walking around the pier, having seen it on television so many times. And it's just, yeah, you know, you hear people say, it's like being a kid in a candy store, it's all of that and more. It's um, – something that you've thought about and wondered what it would be like and then you're living it and it's it feels real and not real all at the same time so I think for me 07 was was good preparation just getting there that that first year and experiencing the race and and of course I finished second on debut and I think that for me that was a good again a good just stepping stone in my in my development and I mean to win in your second appearance it yeah it's mind blowing. And I just, I felt very lucky and privileged. And yeah,
0: I, I you know, that first time when you were there uh, and you were only like four minutes behind your countryman, Chris McCormick. So uh, you definitely put your map on yourself on the map with that second place. You know, you said, I read one time where you said, I think I heard you talk about it once on a panel I was at where, you know, y- you can be defeated and it hurts. It, it can hurt a lot but not performing up to your full potential hurts even worse. Were there events where all of a sudden you came out and go, what the heck? Why Why did I not give it my all? I mean, obviously that bothers you worse than a, than a defeat. Was there one particular event where that just stuck with you? Like, what the heck was I doing there? What? Why didn't I perform up to my potential?
1: Yeah, you know, for me, effort was never a problem. I was always an effort guy, even as a soccer player and, it was more about execution for me a lot of the time and, and I guess dealing with the nervousness and the anxiety that I would put on myself. Um, so no one, no one race in particular that comes to mind, but, but there were, there were a multitude of occasions where I'd be either talking with the media, you know, the post-race press conference or, and a lot of the time you haven't even had to process what happened yourself because it's still fresh. It's happened that, that day. Um, and you know, I'd be sitting there thinking, you know, there'd be occasions where I'd won races, and I'd be talking about it, answering questions. But in my mind, I'd be thinking, "Well, geez, I made so many mistakes today. Like, I won the race. I guess in itself, that's that's part of the battle. But, and then there were other occasions where i performed really, really well, but hadn't won the race, hadn't hadn't crossed the line first. So, I guess everybody frames things differently. But for me, mentally, it was it became clear that sometimes you you win a race and and by definition that just means you cross the line first but what does that mean related to your performance have you performed up to potential have you um, so those two things became almost mutually exclusive I mean as a professional athlete you obviously want to win Um, that's when you get paid and that's when you get the sponsors but it was deeper than that for me and, and for a lot of athletes that I spoke to as well it's you know and I think it becomes apparent when you start analyzing it and verbalizing it um, to the media and also to yourself that success is is different to winning. Success is getting the most out of yourself on all all occasions. Sometimes you win but still underperform. Mm-hmm. So for me, I I thought there were occasions where I won races. I thought you know I didn't train long and hard for months and months and and you know go through all those sacrifices with my family to to perform lower than the level that I'd set for myself. And just because I crossed the line first, I'm not going to be content with that. So, you know, I, I guess you, you sort of separate the, the result from the performance and, and that's where it all became about, not just effort, but execution and, and fulfilling potential, not just the position that you cross the line.
0: Right. Right. Well, you know, so much today is about performance psychology about obviously the mental aspect, uh, it always has been. But obviously, there's more studies done on it, and I know you have uh, you've dove into it quite a bit. Do you believe, Craig, that uh, if if you knew more about performance psychology when you were racing back in the day, would have it would have it made your performances better? Would it have made your recovery better? Would you have understood yourself a little bit better? Do you think that's a path that? uh, would have enhanced your, your career?
1: 100%. I think about it all the time. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I get to tell my story a little bit in some corporate settings and, and to junior athletes at schools. And I understand myself more now than I did when I was racing. And I know more about that element of the performance, the, the psychology performance than I did. And it would have helped me immeasurably because I just think the greatest attribute any athlete can have is self-awareness, understanding what it is that makes you tick, what drives you. And, and and from that point, you know, all of the subsequent details fall into place around the training. But, you know, we're all different. Physiologically, obviously, we're all different, but mentally and emotionally we're all different and we thrive in different situations and understanding what you need around you from an emotional standpoint with your relationships and, and also unlocking... Um, you know the, the mind-body connection is very strong. That they those two things cannot be separated. The mind controls the body. You can be the physically in unbelievable shape. You can be the physically fittest person on the start line. But if you're not in a good place uh, mentally, where and emotionally, where you're, you're motivated, and um, you know, you talked about um, the psychology and all the the studies that have been done. There, there's a hundred studies that have talked about an athlete's willingness to endure. Um, is always higher when they're more motivated, when they're happy. There are all these other elements, these psychological elements that you can put in place which actually enhance your physical performance. And I know I wasn't aware of a lot of them during the peak of my career. I mean, I'd scratched the surface. I was aware of them but hadn't, I guess, delved as more deeply as I have now. And I mean, it's something I think about all the time. I'm often considering going back to do some sort of sports psychology degree, postgraduate degree. I just, It just interests me.
0: Hold on everyone, we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. As an endurance athlete, you're constantly pushing your body to new limits, searching for your personal best for the next finish line. If you're training for an endurance event, whether short distance or long distance, proper recovery is the key to you unlocking your potential. As the official topical pain relief partner for the Ironman US Series, Activize's lineup of topical cooling gel Roll on and spray features 8% menthol and eucalyptus oil to provide the instant icy relief you need to recover smarter and faster. The water-based non-sticky formula withstands sweat to keep up with the demands and exertion of race day. Don't let muscle pain or sprains hold you back from reaching your potential, from reaching your personal best. Shop the Activices lineup on Amazon today for the support you need to find your finish line. So yeah, the psychology, Craig, is is, is vital. It's just a matter of of knowing it and practicing it. You know, I kind of saw that with you. Uh, you. You had such a incredible career. And in, in 2011, you won Kona, and then you came to, uh, after Kona, oh, I think it was 2012, yeah, you came to Melbourne, and you went sub-eight hours there. Uh, then in 2013, when I was working that race, you finished a fifth at Melbourne. And I uh, interviewed you at the at the finish, and it was very emotional uh, because you didn't have the performance that you wanted. Uh, you felt that, uh, I, I believed your Ironman career maybe was on the wane, and you didn't know how you were going to get it back, and you just kind of – wanted to walk away walk us through that because that had to be a real emotional roller coaster for you uh coming in fifth when you wanted to win the race but things were leading up to that to where you weren't having the performances you thought you should have
1: yeah well i think i, I just think for me personally it was all, almost a mental slide more than a physical one so that alludes to what we were speaking mm. about before and you know it's one thing to be physically capable to perform the question is, do you uh, still have the mental desire and the motivation to do it? And I was getting to a point where we'd been traveling internationally for 20 years. Um, you know, our third our third child, Lani, had just been born. Uh, so she was just a baby, weeks old. And, you know, I was starting to have a lot of feelings of guilt, actually, that um, how much more racing, how much more winning is enough? Uh, and I guess again, it comes down to self-awareness and an, in, an in, insight into what you want as a person and what you want for your family. And I just kind of felt, you know, if I if I go to Kona, can I perform physically? I felt I could, but at what cost? At what cost to to the rest of my life? And you know, my wife had been so supportive for so long. I was just really having a lot of feelings of guilt about this uh, existence. And I wouldn't say I was a selfish person, but by definition, as an athlete, you, you do need to be self-centered. You're, you're always worried about your training, your race schedule, your diet, your recovery. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, self-focused attention, and which is a kind of a, a paradox when you become a parent. It's the opposite of what really happens yeah. when you become a parent. So I was struggling with all of those things, Mike. Yeah, I, was, I was emotional at the time, and I just... I had feelings of guilt because I felt obligated to my sponsors as well. I thought, well, this is my job, and if I can still physically perform, why would I pull back? Um, but, you know, you negotiate those things. You know, there's no, there's no university or college that prepares you for being a professional athlete. It's sort of on-the-job training. And, again, it comes down to what you talked about, the mental side of it. You know, you used an interesting word about the mental practice that, you know, I was very fortunate early in my career I crossed paths with a sports psychologist and she said things to me 25 years ago that I utilized and used certain strategies every day of my career and even now in my life. Um, you know, she talked about being an athlete. You know, you train three, four times a day. You're swimming, you're biking, you're running every day, you're in the gym, you're practicing physically. She said to me, what what mental practice are you doing? Um, so that your mental development keeps pace with your physical development. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um Coming to the end of my Ironman career, I knew I still loved the sport and I wanted to be involved. Uh, but yeah, I was having, I was torn between um, should I push on? You know, as you get older, there's no question. I, th- I think we've seen in our sport, from a physical and, and endurance perspective, you can excel in your late 30s into your 40s. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But the body needs a lot more TLC at that point. You need to nurture it, love it more. It needs more attention, more body work. And it just, a full-time job becomes a full-time job plus more with all the extras that you need to do. And, yeah, I was just I was starting to feel very guilty about this was too all-consuming for the family. And, you know, we'd already been doing it for nearly two decades, Neri and I anyway. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I was really struggling with what, what the way forward should be. But I think I, I navigated it, I wouldn't say well. I had to get some good advice from a lot of trusted people People and mentors, advisors, and you know, I wanted to stay involved in the sport. I didn't want to walk away, and certainly from racing. And I still felt physically I could compete at the shorter distances. I just, I felt that if I wasn't going to, I, I couldn't do Ironman racing and not do Kona. So for me, the part, the way forward was stop the Ironman racing and maybe continue with seventy point three racing, half distance racing, and Olympic distance. So that's that's what I chose to do.
0: Good, good for you. I know, I I love it. And uh, just a little switch here. You know, our sport and men's and women's diversity, dynamics, and the roles in the workplace, the roles in sport and in life, they as you know, they're being recalibrated and defined more mm. now than ever, which is, is a great thing. But talk to us about how you believe our sport, our events, are doing in this category, and what kind of grade would you give them? if you want to do that or what kind of advice could you give him so that we become a sport uh, of diversity and we become a sport that is all encompassing and, and welcomes everybody?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I Look, how would I school them? I, th- I think they're heading, like change doesn't happen quickly as you know, Mike, you know, change doesn't happen quickly. Um, but sometimes it needs to change, you know, change needs to happen. and And I think from, from the gender equality standpoint, to start with, I think we're doing okay. I mean, we have equal prize money. I think, from a media standpoint, we have equal attention on on the men's and the ladies, and I, th- I think that's important. I mean, you know, I have I have two daughters, and I would hate to think that they didn't have all the opportunities that my son has in sport or in business or, or anywhere. Now, I would be naive to think that the world is perfect and they are going to have those opportunities, but. I think actions speak louder than words and we have, I guess we have a chance in our sport to, to be leaders. I think, you know, I read somewhere that we're one of the few sports that has equal prize money. Um, you know, I think we should have equal spots, qualifying spots throughout as well. I don't think there's any harm in, and, and I know maybe the depth in women's racing is not quite there. I don't know the numbers in terms of participation, how many professional license holders there are in men's racing compared to women's, but I just think I just think even a gesture like that just sets the tone that we're all about trying to even things up and we're about pushing in the right direction. Even if the infrastructure and everything is not in place, that, that's a good starting point. So I, I think we're doing okay in terms of the inclusivity. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that as a sport, we, you know, for me, sport is one of those um, arenas that it's it's objective. It's about how good you are or how much. Or how, mm-hmm. at, at the highest level, it's about how good you are or it should be. And at every level, it's about just a desire to put effort in and have a crack at something. You know, that's what I say to my kids. Um, The the teams that I've coached in different things, that's that's what I say to them. I I just think nobody should be precluded from doing any sport. So, um, you know, the world is not perfect. And each generation, I guess, has a chance to do things better. Um, I'm not about throwing people under the bus and but I am about looking back historically and seeing what's been done well and what could be done better and I think learning the lessons and moving forward because for me it just comes down to common sense. Sport is one of those arenas nobody should be precluded from, from participating um, and from the professional standpoint, nobody should be precluded if they're good enough, male or female, if you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the, for me, that, that was always the attraction of sport. Um, I, now, you know, I, I don't think we can say there's no politics in sport there's no gender inequality. There's no racial inequality. There's all of those things because sport ends up reflecting life, I guess, and, and, and what we see in other areas of life. But wouldn't it be great if sport could be the catalyst to change all of those things? And, you know, I, I think we're doing okay, but it's just one of those things like everything or like a lot of things. You just be, you have to be vigilant. I think there needs to be a lot of common sense and we need to have empathy. One of the great um, attributes all, all of us can have is empathy and listening to listening to people who who are coming and saying well I don't think we're getting a fair shake of this and, and you know the the major stakeholders or the, or the governing bodies need to say okay well why not and, and see if there's things that can be addressed just listening to people um, and sometimes they're going to have legitimate concerns other times not but it doesn't hurt to listen um, and I think all govern all governing bodies um, you know race governance is not easy sport governance is not easy just like in business but Empathy and common sense goes a long way. I like to keep things simple, Mike. I just like to keep things simple. I know there's often a lot of stakeholders and a lot of people with skin in the game and agendas, but if we keep things simple and we have empathy and we listen to people and what they're going through, I think if we're smart enough, we can make a decision. What is there a better way forward? And if so, why wouldn't we want to pursue it?
0: Good for you. I, I, I agree totally. And, you know, you mentioned something in what you were just talking about is actions speak louder than words. I always I always use that because obviously people coming into the finish line, they don't need to be yelling out and telling people what they're doing because people see it. The kids see it. Their family and friends see it. How do you think how do you think your kids or the kids you're coaching? What do you what, what what actions are defining you that they see you do without telling them this and that and this and that? What kind of actions do you think show them the way,
1: the good you way? Yeah, I just, yeah, made it's a good question. Again, it's, I was already, always very mindful of that too, doing interviews because I, you know, i would be thinking at some point, Lucy, Austin and Lani, they can, they can Google or search these <laughs> videos and, 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 they can hear the things that, that I've said and, you know, and I and also wanted to, I guess, honor my parents and the way they brought me up, um. You know, I, th- I think the easiest thing in life is to be yourself. I know sometimes in the sport entertainment business, there's a tendency to want um, to sell or be larger than life, and that, that's fine. But, I mean, for me, I just wanted to, to be myself. I felt that was the easiest way. And, um, you know, and be respectful too. It, it's great to win. It's, it's awesome to win. It's an amazing feeling, and it hurts to lose. And I think every athlete, if you're around long enough, you experience equal measures of both. Um, you know, I say to my kids all the time, my own children, you know, respect, respect your opposition. Respect what they've gone through because they've gone through a lot of the same things you've gone through. And it's great to win, but surely you can appreciate somebody else's effort as well. And, and likewise, if you don't win, you know, I'm not saying don't, you know, just shake it off. It should sting. It should hurt a little for sure. I mean, but, you know, you can still pay homage to someone who's had a great performance Those two things are separate. Mm -hmm. Being personally wounded by a performance or by not getting the outcome you want, if it stings, okay, well, let's deal with that. We can deal with that. But over here, we can still pay homage or respect to somebody who's put in a great performance. So, yeah, I mean, again, I just think it comes down to the kind of person you are and maybe your upbringing as well. But, um, you know, sport's tough. It's one of those things, again, mate, you have a front row seat. You see agony and ecstasy within two minutes of each other. You see people getting a life-changing performance in a race and other people who have committed just as much, sacrificed just as much, worked just as hard and it all just evaporates and blows away in the wind in an instant. So um, it's interesting, you know, they say hindsight's a wonderful thing and it is because I think as you get older with more perspective, you look back and you think, well, all of those experiences shape who you are and they teach you and it's just part of the journey. And you hear that as a kid and you think that's just a that's just a rubbish cliché. You know, it's all about <laughs> yeah, winning. It's all about – but, you know, now, I, I mean, yesterday I was – Neri and I were up at the local park, both our, our two youngest, Austin and Laney, they ran – they had their zone cross-country races. And I think you're just a little more, more philosophical because you see these kids just turning themselves inside out and some of the kids at the back of the field are putting in just as much effort. Maybe they don't have quite the talent or they haven't, they haven't got access to quite the coaching, but sometimes the effort's still there and, you know, they're at the back of the field though and you think, well, they should be applauded for that though. I mean, that's – so, yeah, I guess you just get a little more philosophical with, with, with a bit of experience and also, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, can you? When you're in the midst of a professional career, you you know, your objective is to win, to win world titles or to perform. And, and, and and that's it. You have very little peripheral vision for anything else. It's a very narrow, it's a narrow focus, isn't it?
0: I mean, I envision you and Neri out there, you're, you're being parents, you're seeing those ones behind and, oh my gosh, that poor little guy, I hope he can make it in. And, you know, he's in like 20th place and you feel for them. And, and, uh, I mean, I've got a six-year-old grandson playing little league baseball, and yeah. and you know my son Andy played, and now I'm watching this grandson, and I feel for these kids that just don't have talent, and they can't throw yet, and I'm, you oh come here, buddy, let me help you out, you know, you just mm, yeah. you, you turn into this this soul of wanting to help everybody. But when you mentioned about your kid, I just brought a thought back that that you're going to have to tell me what year it was. But when you talked about maybe your kid seeing a video of an interview or something. I don't know if they'd ever see the video of the award ceremony in Kona when the torrential downpour <laughs> came and everybody left. And and I, I was only halfway through the program, and finally I go, okay, now let's bring up our champion, Craig Alexander, to give his speech. I don't know if that was 8, 9, or 11, but you remember life. how hard that rain was. It was ridiculous. It was me, and then and then you're up there, you give me a speech, you tear your your aloha shirt off. People, were, it was like only forty of us left. People were going crazy. Was that a moment in time we're we'll, we're never going to be able to forget? That's the greatest.
1: That that was amazing, and they're the memories that that you cherish the most. I think those sort of little anecdotes that yeah, there was only forty or fifty hearty souls left under the under the tables right at the front. I know. And it was it was so good. I mean, I remember the rain came down so hard you started getting electric shocks through the microphone and they had to cut yeah, they had, had to, to shut p- it. Put it down <laughs> they had to shut it down and we'd done all the age group awards and we were we were moving into the it, but it was it was crazy you know because i remember afterwards when we got into the king and i'd walked across i'd used the make as a as a little bit of shelter walking across <laughs> to the king cam and um, as we are walking down Alihi drive you know everybody goes out afterwards we go to Lulu's or Hugos or whatever just to really socialize and you know just be in each other's company and enjoy the moment and i mean you would remember Alihi drive a lot of the shop owners had come down and put sandbags in front of their shops Alihi drive was the water was up yeah. over the gutters into the shops it was it was crazy how much rain came down but yeah i mean Lucy was Lucy was 3 years old we we were looking at the photos the other day a few memories popped up and <laughs> Uh, my mum was there as well. She was saturated. It was it was fun. That was they were, they're the good. And I remember giving the speech to about thirty people. Well, she I remember well she was there in the front row under the table, and um, yeah, they were great yeah. memories. You know, they're they're the things that, that was, you miss, and and the people who you miss. You know.
0: I know. I see. I just I can see some of the faces of the ones that that stayed, and <laughs> yeah. and uh, it was like a our, our little family. It was it was it was actually beautiful. Chloe, what what do you want to leave behind of the sport, so to speak, a gift, a gift from you?
1: What, what would you like to leave behind? Um, it's a good question, isn't it? And people often ask you the question. I think, in terms of legacy, my main legacy is to my family, uh, to my kids, um, and and for them, what I, you know, I, I think, hopefully, they've seen that. The most important thing you need to bring is hard work and effort and surround yourself with good people Uh, hopefully that's the lesson you know some of the lessons i've imparted to the kids having good people around you never being too proud or scared to ask for advice and help Um, you know humility respect for others is it's important very important i mean you know what's happening in the world at large can be crazy, um, but I think sport sport is a little maybe microcosm of that. And I, I say to my kids all the time: "Is you know you got to congratulate your opponent after you know before and after, and whatever the outcome. So having respect for your opposition is important. And and, and, and for the sport, what could I leave? I guess hopefully I've I've, I've added to and enriched Australia's proud tradition in our sport." Uh, I would like, you know, what what gives me a lot of satisfaction is when you're at events or you're speaking and people come up to you after and say things like, you know, I remember seeing you on television 10 years ago and you inspired me to get into the sport or to get get fit again. And, you know, hopefully that can be my gift to the sport. Even if a handful of people have seen an interview or a race that I did and and were inspired to, to to get fit, to get healthy. Um, for whatever reason and and you know like I do Mike our sport has been a vehicle for a lot of people to turn their lives around from from depression addiction and 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 a whole range of things so you know if if people have seen me race and it's inspired them to get out and have a crack I would like that to be my gift to the sport
0: good for you and before I go to my last question it's kind of the same last question I ask all the guests about called tri-table racing I gotta tell you I usually don't talk about uh, somebody's sponsors, but Team Vespa, that's got to be the best sponsorship ever. I, I, I saw you on the Vespa. I go, I wish I had that in Kona. I wish I had had that in my garage. That has got to be the greatest, dude. How that, that, You must love that.
1: Yeah, it's good. And don't worry, mate. We will hook you up in Kona. You'll be getting up and down the <laughs> Lee Drive. I didn't know so- <laughs> you know, you'll be sorted. Don't worry. But you yeah, know it was good. I mean, look... <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when non-endemics see what you and I see and mm, all the people yeah. who love our sport, which is yeah. the great attributes and characteristics of triathletes at all levels, the discipline, the performance. And, you know, it came about by chance. I just happened to be um, working in a coaching aspect with, with a gentleman who was a high-level executive in their business, and uh, he just thought there was a lot of synergy a lot of alignment between the values that they share as a performance brand and and what they see in our sports. So it just seemed to be a perfect fit. But, yeah, for those of us who have been to major events like Kona, it's going to be a great. It's it's the only way to get around town. So, yeah, but we'll hook you up, mate. You'll be flying up and down in some sort of custom little rig. We'll organize something. (laughs) I love that. So the
0: final question is, on Finding, Find Your Finish Line is titled Tri-Table Racing. In the off-road racing world, I've got great friends that race the Baja and everything, and they call it bench racing. They sit around the bench, the picnic table, the, the, the table, the kitchen table, and reminisce about the race, memories of what happened on that race. Give me a memory of something happened in a race for you that was so funny while it happened. You're racing, and all of a sudden, you had mm. to laugh. Like, are you kidding me? You remember anything like that?
1: Not that I had to laugh, but just that um, it sort of shocked me a little bit. Was It happened in Kona in right. 2009, uh, and I've told the story once before, once or twice before, but not for a long time. We were coming up to Harvey, the turn on the bike, and um, there was a couple of guys off the front. Lieto, obviously, he just started his breakaway. I mm-hmm. want to say Torbjorn, big Torbjorn, was off the front, and um, but I was in the next group of athletes, uh, which was the front group. And what I like to try and do as we were coming to Harvey is I'd like to get to the front of the group because you call out your race number, and then when you make the turn, you can get your special needs. So you call out your race number as you go past the special needs table. And 09, obviously I was race number one because I'd won the year before. So I called out I called out number one and I went down, made the turn at Harvey Town and came out and when I rolled into the special needs table, the lady, the volunteer, had the wrong bag. She didn't have bag number one. And at the last minute, she realized and took it away. So I, I just rode through. And about two minutes later, well, not even uh. two minutes later, probably 30 seconds later, Andreas Raylert, who was doing the race for his first time and obviously a very decorated athlete, had been to three Olympic Games. I think he would finished had a top five at the Olympics. He'd been on the podium at 70.3 Worlds just a great athlete, ended up having seven podium finishes in Kona. Um, incredible record. But in his first race in Kona, he noticed that I'd, I'd, I was – he was obviously sitting somewhere behind me in the group. He saw that I missed my special needs. So he grabbed his own special needs and he grabbed mine as well. And then he rode up to me with my special needs bag in his mouth and just handed it to me during the race. And it, it, I wouldn't say it made oh me laugh gosh. in terms of – a, a, a it wasn't a hilarious moment, but it, was, it made me smile in that in the midst of the World Championships, a guy has that much um, respect and just presence of mind, I guess, to, to help out a fellow competitor. And that's the kind of – I mean, they're the memories that you do. I mean, I went on to win that race, and Andres finished third, we ran you you might remember he and I ran together for about 25 kilometers that day we ran
0: yeah.
1: I, I shot I shot out a T two quickly but he caught me and then we ran along the Leahy Drive we ran up Polani we ran all the way out to the energy lab together until I, I started to edge ahead but yeah I mean we were we were rivals battling for a, a world championship that day but he still grabbed my special needs bag and, and brought it up to me with my nutrition in it and um, it's some, something I thank him for every time I see him these days and he, he's so humble and he's gracious he just says oh Crowey not at all of course I mean it's what I should have done and so that's a moment that makes me smile yeah. and you know because you think it's high level racing and it's world championships but it's still it's still it's still sport it's still sport and you see humanity out there in many forms all the time and I experienced it that day with Andreas and Something I'll never forget. Yeah, it's a great memory. So yeah, it wasn't a memory where I just burst into laughter, but I always smile when I think of it.
0: Oh, I I, I guess you do. I it makes me warm in my heart. I had never heard that story, and mm. Andreas, knowing the type of character he is, yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise it's going to surprise a lot of people because obviously we're talking about the world championship and it it has to be dog eat dog sometimes because you want, you want to be number one. So that is, that's a beautiful story. Thank you very much for sharing that. I appreciate that. Crowley, how can, how can people get a hold of you or find you or follow you so they uh, can ask you questions or coaching? Uh, How do you want them to be able to do that?
1: Social media. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. Um, also got the coaching business Sensigo so we have a website and we've got social media channels and um yeah it's something I've had the coaching business for a long time now but I've really been much more invested in it the last six to 12 months so for me that was one of the upsides of the pandemic I guess um really taking more ownership and getting more engaged in that side of my life so yeah people can find me um Alexander is my Instagram so I, I message if people message me I always message back so um I'm pretty easy to find and hopefully when the events start up again, I'll be floating around. that That's one thing I've re- I'm sure you have as a lot of people have just being at the events, being in and around our community but I'm hopeful this year, the back end of this year, I'll be floating around a few more events so if people see me, come up, grab me, ask a question or two, let's have a coffee but yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find, Mike, I'm easy to find. I'm floating around.
0: Okay. Well. Chloe I, I can't wait to see you at the next event somewhere somewhere in the world so we can get together and uh, tip one or two. But uh, thank you very much for your time. Say hello to the family and yeah, and uh, Neary, give her a hug for me. And, and uh, uh, keep doing what you're doing because our sport is so much better off because Craig Alexander has been a part of it and better yet is still a part of it. So keep it up, young man. Uh, uh, what you do and the type of family man you are is an example to live by. Thank
1: you. Hey, thank you, Mike. They're lovely words, mate. And thank you for having me on. It's great to catch up.
0: My pleasure. So, find your finish line, presented by activice the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe if you'd like to to become uh, notified of upcoming shows. You can do that on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Overcast, or right from my website at MikeReilly.net. And remember, everybody, there are things in life and racing that we don't always have control over, but we do have control over our attitude. If you take care of it, it will get you to the finish line. As always, I'm Mike Riley, my warmest aloha to each and every one of you. We'll see you next time.